episode 18 of the Human and Machine podcast. Uh, my name is Yaku, as always. I'm your host with Lenny, my co-host, and we're back from a fantastic trip to Cape Town uh, over last week, a week before, last week. Yeah. So we missed last week. That's yeah, I know, for sure. Um, definitely Cape Town was very, um, very kind with the weather. We Too much good food and even better wine. Yeah, we actually <laughs> saw the mountain for the whole week. So yeah, it was a good week in Cape Town. Yeah, just a fantastic trip. And I think Cape Town, the Western Cape region, as far as manufacturing and innovation goes, there's some really, really exciting things happening in the Western Cape. A lot of, a lot of young engineers, young companies doing some incredible things with, uh, with, with Ignition, other platforms and, and IoT, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so really, really impressed by the Western Cape and, and a lot of good work happening over there. Um, in our last episode, we spoke with Brian Pinnock from Mimecast, uh, just really about cybersecurity in the evolving threat landscape uh, and how manufacturers can increase cyber resilience. If you missed that episode, it's well worth a listen as Brian shared some, some really insightful facts and also guidance on how to become cyber resilient. And I think the, the primary one for me there, Lenny, was the fact that uh, email is still the number one attack vector. I think that podcast scared the living crap out of me. <laughs> As it should, I suppose. As it, it should, being, being cybersecurity and just how easy it is still for, for infiltrations to happen. Yeah, that's scary stuff. Cool, so this week we have uh, definitely backed by popular demand. We have Walker Reynolds uh, from Intellect Integration and 4.0 Solutions based out of Texas. We ran out of time with Walker during our first recording. Uh, that's obviously the one where we got into OEE, why it's important, yes. why it's still relevant. Great discussion. We did run out of time and we desperately wanted to get a view of what Walker, it was a little bit of a carrot that he threw in right towards mm -hmm. the end of the conversation where he, he mentioned the unified namespace. So we really wanted to get an understanding of what the unified namespace is and also what Walker describes as the holy grail. And Lenny, I know that's something that's dear to your heart as well. No, definitely. I think, I think for me, it's twofold. Um, if you look at the, the kind of standard automation pyramid and how integration, we used to do integration between the layers, what now for sure, 20, 20, 15 years. If you take one block out of the integration pyramid, then you're pretty much stuck. You have to pretty much redo everything again. Um, and I think with the concept of the unified namespace, it definitely shatters that bounds. Another, another point for me that's very dear to my heart with the unified namespace is, is especially here with us at Element 8, I mean, we distribute three products, uh, yeah. Ignition, Canary, Flow. Yes, there's overlap. Yes, some has dashboarding capability. Yes, other has as well. Um, and the unified namespace is really a concept where, you know, you can build a dashboard tomorrow in Ignition. If it doesn't work for you, you try build it in, in other, the other solution. The, pro the point is that you do not throw your work away. That KPI and, okay. and stuff that you've done is available in, in the namespace for any other piece of software to actually consume it. And I think that's that's great. Okay. Well, there's two things for Walker to address already. So we have Walk Online. Walker, really good to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time again to join us. Early morning, your Thanks. time again. That's right. Thanks for having me again, guys. And this time it's uh, 7.30 local. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's, yeah. it's a late morning for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> How have you been? Uh, we've been uh, been blessed. We've been uh, incredibly busy. Um, you know, uh, a lot of um, a lot of new engagements with really large enterprise clients, um, and uh, we moved into a new office. In fact, we just completed that that move this this past weekend. This is oh, my fantastic. first day sitting at the desk um, in the new office. So things have been incredibly incredibly busy but also at the same time trying because of the obviously the state of the economy and and there's a lot of uh, instability in the market but with instability comes a lot of opportunity and so 
I think everyone in our industry has, uh, has reason to be encouraged, not discouraged. Absolutely. And I think busy is good. I mean, just, uh, just being mindful and grateful for being busy where so many folks are not busy at the moment. So that's, that's Agreed. something to be grateful for. Um, so Lenny already opened up with two <laughs> very interesting uh, departure points and notions there. Um, I don't know if you want to, if, if we want to kick off right with those around the notion of an IIoT platform uh, or the promise that an IIoT platform delivers that there is a unified namespace. For me, I want to chat a little bit about scaling um, as, a, as an important consideration. But yeah, really, you know, the unified namespace is something that I was not really aware of, at least not per your definition. So we'd love to maybe kick off with that. Sure. So before I start, let me, let me start with, uh, I want to lay a, a basic premise. And that basic premise is uh, all organizations are trying to achieve the Holy Grail, right? So if you think about what the Holy Grail is, if you were to take most chief executives of manufacturers, whether those are Fortune 500, Global 100s, or mom and pops, what they, the Holy Grail is a, they want a fully integrated business. That is a fully integrated business made up of digital factories. And why do they want those factories to be digital? Because it's much more efficient to be digital. A, you have a higher rate of accuracy yeah. when record keeping, when event tracking is all digital, right? You, 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 get the, the, you get the event from the horse's mouth and then you store it digitally and you can be certain that if it was integrated correctly, that the data is accurate. So number one, it's accurate. Number two, it's much more efficient. You, humans are slow at data collection, right? Humans are really great at innovation, but we're really bad at very repeatable, at all of the repeatable tasks, right? We're, it, and by bad, I mean, we're not efficient at them, right? Um, we get bored and with boredom comes inefficiency, right? Yeah. So the, the basic premise is a fully integrated business made up of digital factories. And what that means is, is that everything and everyone is plugged into a network. All the layers of your business are integrated and they operate on ba based on data and information from all of the other layers in real time. This goes to the automation pyramid that Lenny mentioned. Yeah. Stake, the stakeholders all know the state of the business in real time. The state that they care about is what is our cost? What's our profit? Where are we on schedule? Where are we to our plan? Where are we to our forecast? And there's one stakeholder. That's correct. Right. Stakeholders know the future state of the business in real time. This is, this is the game changer piece, right? Forecasting, anyone in business knows that forecasting is essentially the most difficult component of your business forecasting future state is very, very difficult. This is one of the reasons I love flow as much as I do. And this is the reason, you know, I've dropped, I mentioned it in the previous podcast, right? Was that, you know, flow is very good at predicting future state based on current state and past performance, right? I mean, that it's baked into the platform, which is, that makes it different. Um, the next one is the, the next component of the Holy Grail is, organizations, these digital factories are leveraging technology, specifically machine learning and artificial intelligence to collect and analyze data and information. The machine learning predicts future outcomes based on past patterns and current state. This is something that Flow does. And artificial intelligence consumes many of the determinations that machine learning predicts to recommend operational adjustments to improve future outcomes. And then stakeholders, the human beings execute or not execute 
recommended operational adjustments. That's the Holy grail. If that's our premise and it doesn't matter who you talk to, that's, you know, if you look at predictive analytics, you know, if you look at just the, the, um, the, the maintenance component of running manufacturing in manufacturing, you know, predictive analytics has been a thing has been a dream for 20 years, right? I want to predict failures, right? I mean, the, my entire career, every, people have been trying to do that, but how many people, how many organizations really do predict failures accurately? Not many, right? Mm -hmm. They either, they, they, they start with a great idea, but they build it on top of a flawed infrastructure, mm -hmm. right? Um, because again, the industry 3.0 way of integrating a business is plugging one layer of the stack into the next layer of the stack and yep. plugging the neck, that layer into the next layer. And that, and we, the analogy we use here in, in Intellic is that's the equivalent of building a wall on top of a couch. You know, you build a, so you buy a sofa, you put it in your living room, you decide you want a law, a new wall. And instead of, instead of, uh, moving the sofa out of the way, you build a wall on top of it. Well, the problem is, is that sofa becomes integral to the architecture of the business. And so if you remove the sofa, everything comes crashing down and you got to rebuild the wall. That's exactly what Lenny was talking about, right? Is that when you, when you make a piece, a solution, a fundamental component of your business that, that other things within the business depend upon, then you can never, you can no longer remove that solution, even if that solution doesn't do what you need it to. Yeah. Even and 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 that's the that's the point. So, the unified namespace is the idea that what we do is we create a single source of truth for the entire business. Now, when you when now someone might ask, well, what isn't that the digital twin? And the answer is no, it is not the digital twin. It's similar. They, there's, a, there's a similarity between the digital twin and the single source of truth, but they're not the same thing. And I don't want to go into you know, the whole the, uh, technical or theoretical elements, why, what makes a digital twin different from a, a unified namespace. But the idea is, is that we do two things. Number one, when we, when we get everything and everyone plugged into a network, the next thing that we do is we treat everything and everyone as a node in the network. Yeah. And then we create a single source of truth that everything and everyone publishes into and consumes from in order to um, pro produce, uh, take data and produce information. That is the unified namespace. Yeah. And we, we also, um, you, you mentioned the truth. I mean, we've, I think we may have mentioned in the previous recording that we've had a couple of instances when, when the truth is exposed, we've often, heard whoever we've been engaging with at that point we we've heard that oh we actually don't want to see the truth later on or you're wrong or you're rather, wrong that that can't yeah. be the truth exactly <laughs> let's rather give us the ability if it is the truth then let's rather give us the ability to manipulate it somehow before it's seen as the truth um, correct and, and i think there is also a level of uh organizational culture that's got to be driven around that at the same time outside of just the tech and what the tech and the data shows us um, I think there's definitely some alignment from all the different stakeholders involved to to get to that one view. Well, and and one and Lenny brought this up in the last podcast, right? And that was the you know organizations um, need to abandon the idea that data and information needs to be treated on a need to know basis, right? Yeah. You part of the philosophical change. If you're a if you're a a leader, an industry leader, you you you're either a 
an executive, you are a director, or you're a plant manager, and you're listening to this podcast. And you're one of those people who generally reads the Gardner Magic Quadrant every year. I'm going to give you two pieces of advice. Number one, stop reading the Gardner Magic Quadrant because (laughs) all of that was just paid for. Everyone who shows up on there paid, quote unquote, advertising to get their names in those quadrants, number one. Um, and, And anyone who doesn't pay advertising doesn't get their name in the quadrant. So it's essentially useless. Um, number two, um, you have to change your philosophy. And the first thing that has to change is you have to treat data and information as knowledge. And you want everyone in your organization to be as knowledgeable as humanly possible. Um, and, and the first thing that you have to do is get them the data and information they need when they need it in the form they need it, where they need it. And, and the, and for the non-technical leader that I'm speaking to right now, what you need to do is create the smartphone for a smart factory. That's what you need to do and plug all of your people into it. If, if what you want to do is be the, the executive, if you're, if you want your legacy to be that I was the executive, I was the Lee Iacocca of the late seventies who turned Chrysler around. If you, if you want to be Elon Musk who created Tesla when everyone said it was impossible or SpaceX when everyone said it was impossible. Or if you want to be Bezos who said, how are you going to create a trillion dollar company selling books? Or you want to be Steve Jobs who says, who, who the hell is going to buy a smartphone? Nobody's saying they want a smartphone. Or you want to be Henry Ford who, said, who created cars when everyone wanted a faster horse and buggy. Um, the, if you want to be those people, then the first thing you have to do is change your philosophy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think like, I think what you mentioned also speaks to the scaling that I mentioned. And I mean, it makes 100% sense. Like with most things digital, scaling uh, is a consideration for growth. And, and when organizations implement these new IoT solutions, uh, they want to add new applications to the system, need to build new connections between the software and all these other interconnected systems. What does all of that mean for integration costs and, and deployment costs? And, and that very much speaks to what you just mentioned. And it's something that really has to be considered from the word go uh, and not be considered as an afterthought. So let me, and th- this is where I want to bring, this is where I want to bring Michael in at, at the end of my comments here. So one, uh, one of our um, lead engineers, so one of our senior engineers, and he is the other half of our, our architecture team at Intellic Integration. So the two solutions architects that we have are myself, and we have a guy named Michael Walker, who's on the call. Um, Michael, and I want Michael to chime in here. Um, so, you know, the, the concept of the unified namespace is, you know, came out of my head, right? I mean, I know other people probably thought of the same thing, but this, I wasn't taught the unified namespace. The unified namespace was something that I, you know, it, it, it evolved in my head. It was one of those things like, why do we do it this way again? Why is it we're not just putting everything? Why do we keep assuming what it is people want to know when we're integrating? Why is it we're just not giving them all the data in a place to use later on if they want to? And why aren't we putting everything in a, a unified namespace? Why aren't we putting it in a central location? And, and people have tried to do that, right? And the, the idea was, hey, let's use OSI Pi or let's drop it into a database. And this goes to the scaling thing. Well, that's another most- good question. That's another good question. Isn't the, <laughs> right now, but isn't the industrial historian, is, is that a unified namespace? 
Well, Definitely even, not. Even, even worse. Yeah. I mean, we see it every day. Sorry, Walker. We see it every day where people say, I'll just let this IoT little sensor push data into my Azure data mart or wherever it is sits in the cloud. And they think that is now a platform where I can now take data out for yeah. For machine learning, etc., which yeah. is definitely not the case. Yeah. That's a good. Well, point. and and we and we I, and and what I would say is what I would do is recommend um, for anyone who believes that that's the case. What I recommend is that they go to Highbyte's YouTube channel yeah. and watch the and watch the webinar that they did earlier the or last week. Okay. So it would have been no, November that. of 2020. Go watch the Highbyte because we we talk about why you can't do that. In, yeah. in, it comes up in there that it, when it comes to machine learning and artificial intelligence, normalization of data is a critical component, right? And that's the reason you can't take events with all various timestamps out on the edge and yeah. dump them into a data lake and expect to be able to run linear regressions against them. It doesn't work. It's the reason machine learning fails. The first thing you have to do with events is you have to normalize them. That yeah. is, you have to, you guys already know this because of flow right? You already know you guys do the part of the reason you guys do the buckets of time is so that you get the data normalized. Hey, all right, I think you guys call them or you call them measure or you call them buckets, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the reason you do the mechanics. Right. So, um, but I, what I, I want to talk about scalability, right? So the reason you can't dump it in OSI Pi and the reason you can't put it in a database is it won't scale. There are too many data points. There are too many transitions. You can't make, it won't work. Number That's number one. Number two, you would have you, there's engineering that goes into that. You what you have to do in order to be able to create a unified namespace. So let's define what the unified namespace is. Unified namespace number one is a single source of truth for all data and information in your organization. Think of this as a file share. So when I go into a file share, the corporate file share in my company, it is set up with a structure so that I know how to navigate to the folder I need to get to and retrieve the document that I want to get. And anyone else can follow that structure and do the same thing. When you add a new employee, that employee, that employee adds their folder to the correct, correct place in the namespace and they put their information and data in it, right? In a nutshell. That, that's what the unified namespace is with the exception of the unified namespace is really structure and events. So, when you think of an MQTT broker, what we do is we create the, if we're taught, if we use MQTT as the unified, uh, the, the technology, which it doesn't have to be, we just yeah. recommend that it, it be MQTT. Um, the, the structure is ISA 95. Why? Because that's how every organization either does or should be structuring their information. ISA 95 is enterprise, uh, site, area, line, cell, right? And then what we do is we extend that. We create namespaces for all of our applications. We create namespaces for all of our functionalities. And we put them at the level of the organization that a, they apply. So I may have an area of the namespace called OEE. And so I may have, under the enterprise layer, I may have an OEE namespace and all of my site namespaces. And underneath site, I may have an OEE namespace and all of my area um, namespaces. And, and as we, as I go into that namespace, I'm able to navigate through and look at all of the contextual data, all the stuff, all the information we created from data events that we see in our equipment and our people. And I'm able to create new stuff and put it in a place where other people can go grab it. That that's what a unified namespace is. 
to create a unified namespace, you have to connect all the things that have unique namespaces. So yeah. you, a PLC has its own unique namespace. An application has its own unique nam namespace. The unified namespace tells the, that node how to organize its unique namespace and where to publish its data. And, and when you organize it and publish it, now it's available for everyone to use. We use protocols, we have some requirements, right? In order for this to scale, when we talk about scalability, you really need to, you, the, you want it to be as lightweight as possible and you want it to use as little um, a memory on a, on a piece of, on a device and you want it to use as little bandwidth on the network as humanly possible. In yeah. order to do that, you want to use report by exception. So that is, we only want to send information that changes. Yeah. We want to use um, edge driven. That is, we don't want to have to request for changes. We want, when a change happens, we want it pushed into the unified namespace and we want it lightweight and open architecture. The reason the open architecture piece matters because if what you want to do is change out, um, you, you will, we'll, let's stay continuous here. So we were using ignition we're using Canary. We're using Flow. There, here's something that all three of them have in common. You can build dashboards in all three of them. 100%. Okay, that yeah. that and and all three of them are good at, are good at building dashboards. But the where you build the dashboard is a function of the information you're displaying on that dashboard. There is a place where Flow is the appropriate mechanism to create the dashboard. There is a there is a need where it, Canary is the appropriate place to build the dashboard and then ignition would be the place where you build the generic jet dashboard right the the you know ignition is not great at anything it's good at basically everything right but it's not great at really anything it's not a it's not a ignition is a, a is a, a jack of all trades it's the it's the swiss army knife right yeah. flow flow is not a swiss army knife flow is a is a um, it, it's a Japanese chef knife, right? Mm. That's what it is. And it has a very special, specific thing that it's really, really, really good at. Same thing that Canary is, right? Mm. The point is, is that I could initially build my dashboard in Canary, be unhappy with it. You know what? That's data that's generic and it needs to be in our generic tool for building dashboard. And I could literally just kill the dashboard. I could take a screenshot of it, kill mm. it, go over and just recreate it inside of ignition and I would do, and there's no additional integration needs to be done whatsoever because all three of the platforms are consuming data and producing information into the exact same namespace. That's open architecture. And Walker, I, cannot, I love, yep, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I, love, I love that idea that if you are consuming data to produce something or show something on a different dashboard and you're doing it three times, then you're doing it wrong. I love the notion that if you've de developed unique content for your specific application to, con to push it back onto the unified namespace, there's other applications, there's other, other solutions that want to get that, that calculation or that piece of, of data. And I think that's a very, very important concept of this is to, to have that sharing ability between who's consuming and who's producing data. And it should be, should be available for everything, right? And I, I want to take it one step further. And th this is where I want to bring Michael in. Okay. So yeah. what we've talked about is the specific, we've talked about capability, right? How you, how the important of architecture is with a specific capability. That is, I don't want to paint myself into a corner. If my capability is I want to create a, an efficiency dashboard 
that predicts future efficiency on this shift. If I create a unified namespace and I create a technology stack that is built on MQTT and report by exception, edge-driven, open architecture, I can plug many solutions in. I could plug in Canary Labs, Historian. I can plug in Flow Software. Uh, what do you guys call Flow? Uh, what is the Flow solution called? Yeah, um, flow information some, platform, yeah. Yeah, information platform. It's a platform. And, I can plug, <laughs> and I can plug in Ignition. Yes. I can plug in all three and all three of them can produce and consume from the exact same namespace. Yes. Right. And, and I can move the capability around between the three of them, but yeah. I want to take that one step forward. So now I'm talking to the systems integrator and I'm talking to the plant, the plant manager. Okay. And this is where I want to bring Michael in. This also extends to your projects. Okay. So uh, a couple of years ago, and I, it'll probably take me 10 minutes to do the background here, but, and this is important though, and I think it'll be valuable to everyone. A couple of years ago, we were, we had literally, it was two little, about uh, 26 months ago, we were looking for a plant in Dallas that we could use as our, our example facility. Instead of, instead of us go, going into conversations with clients and trying to sell this on a whiteboard, right? Um, what we decided to do was, you know what? We need a plant to show people. That's what we need. And, and so we asked the question, what type of plant do we need? to do that. What, what do we want to get out of that? Well, what we want is a plant that basically lets us, we want them to be, to have no digital transformation whatsoever. We want them to be purely based on paper. We want them to have disparate systems. So that is many different types of PLCs, many different types of software, all that kind of stuff, right? We want them, um, we want them to be in a regulated industry because we don't want regulation to be the, the objection to not digitally transforming. And we want them to let us do it our way. We basically want them to get out of the way. Okay. So that it's not, we don't have any of the political inefficiency. And what happened was about 26 months ago, just through sheer luck, that plant called us and they needed some help. They had decided they wanted to digitally sort of digitally transform their vision of digital transformation was let's connect all of our equipment using an OPC server and let's build a custom web application that makes a dashboard and it gives us basically three KPIs. That was their vision. They wanted to use Kep server and they wanted to use a data logger. So they brought us in, myself and a, another guy named Matt Olson, who's our engineering uh, manager. And Matt and I went in and, you know, and, and we started working on this project. It took us a couple of weeks. We got all their equipment connected and all the network address translation done. We installed Kep server. We installed the data logger. And we were working with their engineer. And, and, and when we got all done, we did what they asked us to do. We said, hey, you know what we want to do is um, they had a printing press. Uh, they, th so what this company does is they make packaging for food and beverage. They make chip bags, basically. So they bring the raw material they bring in the back door is um, film. And what they ship out the front door is bags or rolls that could be made into bags. Okay. So it's a very complicated process. They've got an art department and they got all layers of approvals and it's a very, very low margin. They do very short production runs. Um, and what I said to the engineer was, you know, hey, uh, his name's Mike, actually. Hey, Mike, shout out. I'm going to send this to you. Um, I said to Mike, I said, hey, Mike, would your, would your ownership, would your board of directors be interested in letting us do a pilot on that printing press right there? And it was like a, you know, a multi, multi-million dollar printing press, state-of-the-art, Siemens motion control, 
you know, the whole, the DH 485s, you know, high, super high end stuff. And, and he said, well, what would you do? And I said, well, what we would do is show you what's possible. That's what we would do. And I said, and I'll pay for it myself. You know, you don't have to pay anything. We'll do the pilot. It'll probably take a couple of months, maybe two months. We'll give you 30% of what's really possible, but it'll give you a taste. If you like it, you buy it and we do the rest of your facility. If not, we rip it out and we, we leave. And he said, well, let's go talk to them. So we did. We went in this presentation and I said, I, I'd like to do this. And the, and, the, and the leadership group said, well, you know, what's the catch? And I said, there's no catch. You guys employ more than 100 people here in my hometown. These are people who all have middle-class lives. They have, you know, they have mortgages to pay. And I want to make sure that you guys stay here. And I said, but there's two caveats. Number one, we're going to do it on our timeline. And number two, we're going to do it our way. That's why I'm paying for it. And they said, okay, sounds good. And then the last piece was, if we do this, we want to be able to share this plant with the world. Mm. And they said, sounds, sounds good to us. And so we, long story short, we took two months and we did some key elements. Um, like we digitally transformed their job jacket, which is a highly, highly complex um, way that they build their, um, the way that they build the job order when it comes in. Um, we digit, we digitally transformed that we installed OEE using our MES 4.0 platform. One of the first things that, you know, they weren't calculating OEE. We integrated with a shop floor system where they were taking inputs from operators. Um, and then what we did was data analysis. We merged, we merged, uh, we found that there were some databases running on the press that they didn't even know about that yeah. contained historical production information from the past. And so eight weeks later, when I presented, we really focused on three things. What does digitizing, what's the difference between digitizing and digital transformation? So we, we highlighted that. We digitized your job jacket. We digitally transformed your press. Okay. Number, number one. Number two, we gave them an analysis of two things. Number one, who were their most efficient operators? And number two, um, the, the flaws in collecting downtime information and waste information from human beings, because we were capturing the actual events from the machine and we were comparing them to the ones that were being reported by the operators. Mm -hmm. And we, that was number two. And none, then number three, what we did was we tied recipe set points on that press to historic data in the past that they didn't even know they had that was running in databases on the machine. The OEM never told them about. Yeah. And, and when we showed this to the, to the leadership group, they nearly fell out of their chairs. And two years later, we have fully digitally transformed their entire facility. Michael took over the project in January. And what I really want to highlight here, what I really want to highlight is we use the process, the, we use the unified namespace to easily extend new capabilities. So this all started with essentially MES and um, I don't want to say recipe management, but recipe analysis. So MES and recipe analysis on all of their equipment. And, but since then, it has extended far beyond that. And, and with that, what I want to do is bring Michael Walker in, who's one of our solutions architects, and, and have Michael yep. speak to how did this really change? How does this change the approach of doing projects in a facility? And, and, and specifically, what's the role of the unified namespace in saving the cost of integration 
and speeding up the the time to value for these new capabilities. Michael, please. Awesome. Got it. Yeah. So um, just to give a little bit of my background, I, I primarily focus uh, most of my career around MES. So a lot of database uh, front ends to record production related data, OEE, traceability, quality, um, and then more or less correlating that with what typically surfaces out of a control system. Uh, so when I joined Intellic, um, the idea of the unified namespace, especially around MQTT, I knew about the protocol, had used it, um, but to be honest, in my home and then also um, uh, in a couple of production environments, but it was all around just getting access to real-time process data. And so Walker's idea of, of leveraging MQTT as a means to integrate you know, a lot of times what is this point-to-point -point integration? You know, I want to download orders from my ERP. I want to download a uh, bill of material from my ERP, reach into another system to pull out a product specification uh, data set that we're running right now on the production floor. So um, that's where the shift change happened for me is moving from leveraging MQTT to surface real-time process data to leveraging it as more or less an infrastructure that we can integrate any type of data. So um, when I took over this particular project, Walker's been explaining in January, um, we had a lot of uh, challenges. We, we were showing them data and the more data that was being seen, the, the more they wanted to do with it. Specifically yeah. around uh, things like their standards. So the big thing that, that the light bulb hit for them that came off for them was we are massively um, wasting set, setup time. It's not accurate. Um, our standard seems to be, to be way off. Uh, so this particular customer came to us and said, here are our new standards for this product running on this line. And, and this standard will change based upon um, are we moving from one product family to the next? And so, we were able to integrate our system with um, more database tables that they had exposed to us and leveraging the unified namespace, basically reach into that system, bring over these data sets, and then and match that to our all the, um, I guess, tags, if you will, in Ignition to, in real time, consume that data set and, uh, and calculate what, what OEE should be based upon all of their updated standards. Um, and so I say all that to say is leveraging MQTT as a protocol to bring in all these external systems, not just the real-time data was the, um, the, the shift change for me that, that made it real. You know, the unified namespace can work. And, um, and Mike, and, and Michael, yeah. Exactly. Sorry, can you can you speak to the art part? So, because I I wasn't part in part of architecting um, the art piece. All I know is that the art, art group was a complete data silo. Yeah. There was really no you know no one else in the organization was connected to it. Can you explain? Because I think this is the one that the that the the listeners will connect to is is the idea that we're taking you know I think on the plant floor most integrators are accustomed to being able to see the state of all the equipment. Right. And mm -hmm. I mean, and, and that doesn't mean that all plants are like that, but 
but I think we're, we're not, we're never surprised when we see the state of equipment kind of unified. What, what we're surprised yeah. is when all of the ancillary business processes that are generally stuck in data silos become fully integrated with the business. Can, can you speak a little bit about the, the process working with the art group and how you know, we essentially just extended the unified namespace to include all of their functionality, which then exposed the state of art to the rest of the organization. Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, I sure can. So um, the, the art department or the, the process of making artwork that gets printed on a flexible packaging, finished good, um, it has a massive amount of complexities that are involved with it. And so this, this, uh, this particular customer, um, when they would receive an order, um, their art department had built processes uh, uh, that they follow. They're used, they were using monday.com as a project management board to uh, track the statuses of all of their art jobs that they had in process. Um, and then they were manually interfacing back to their, their order entry system to basically indicate, hey, this job is done. Uh, you can pick up the, the, the finished good of our department, which is basically plates that uh, get mounted and go into the printing press. Um, and so what we were able to do is um, extend the unified namespace uh, into that department. And so, um, architecting uh, basically a new database that um, integrated with their order system. And now instead of going to Monday, uh, Excel, uh, various other art specific systems to, to generate that di the digital artwork and the, the physical plate, yeah. um, we are now basically um, tracking through a SQL Server database um, all the statuses of, of their outstanding artwork jobs, and then also reach uh, going back to their finished good item related to the order that they received, what are all the parameters that are, that are going into that? So how many colors are on it? Um, you know, um, what are, what's the width of the plate that's being produced? So uh, hundreds of various different uh, parameters that are going into defining what that artwork is. Yeah. And so to take it a step further, after we built onto the one uh, database that's now tracking that, we were able to, um, when an order hits the floor, um, bring that data into the unified namespace and then expose it in, um, in real time. So if an operator, um, for example, if, if the artwork is supposed to run on a certain width role at their printing press. Now um, we can go and say, okay, here's everything that's at the uh, staging area available to run on this press. But based upon the artwork, which is now integrated with the unified namespace, we're limiting visibility into what roles you can use based upon the width that the art makes up. And so those the, and, are previous specifications that were being manually managed before. And Yako, yeah. this, this is an important point because we get this question a lot. Well, you know, does that mean, you know, if, if we're going to use the unified namespace for events and structure, right? Yeah. Does that mean that we're going to eliminate point to point connections between pieces of software? hundred percent. The answer is no, you're going to eliminate many of them, 
but yes. you, you doesn't, we may still have point to point connections where appropriate, but what we won't have is a query that is run from one node against another node that we don't put the result set into the namespace. Yeah. So while we have SQL backends, when we fire an event to, to run a select statement, we, that select statement is run through the unified namespace. That is the data set, the result set yeah. lives in the unified namespace for another consumer to see, the, for the historian to store. So that the, one of the implications is, is that you can look at when a query was run. We can, we can, we can recreate what it is an operator was actually seeing on the screen because we did that. Because we run, we have structure and events run through a common namespace, a unified namespace that is structured, we can go back in time and take a look at what, what people were actually viewing. So when you build a dashboard, for example, you don't, you don't take the, the, the software and have the software run whatever dashboarding tool you're using. You don't have that dashboarding tool run the query to re return a result set and parse it on the screen. What you do is the unified namespace runs the query. The unified namespace parses the data and all the dashboarding tool does is visualize it. So I could take three different tools and I could plug them into the unified namespace and have them, and have them view the exact same result set that's only queried one time and been parsed one time. Moreover, the historian can store what was in that result set. So I can go back and look in time to see, well, what did they actually look at? Why did they run the wrong role? Did they know, did, was there some flaw in, in what we told them digitally that they should be running? This is the, 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 the implications of the unified namespace. And this is the challenge in quote unquote selling it is the implications are very, are far reaching. It's a philosophical and strategic decision very to much. use a unified namespace, right? So anyway, sorry, that was, a, I know it was a long spiel there, but if, th no. this is the, normally when we're, we're doing this, we're, you know, we're sharing a screen. And so it, it can be, yeah. I'm trying, I keep trying to think, how is this going to translate? No, you know, as just audio. Great, great, great example. Super powerful. I think what you just mentioned now is the key. Yeah, I think for me, two things that, that stands out, um, um, Michael and Walker, is exactly that. Why, why must we in real time generate an OEE number or a calc for OEE? And then two weeks ago or two weeks from that point in a report, and that's typical of our MES solutions is that, we, that we've been doing all well for the past X amount of years, now you need to run a query and reduplicate all of those calculations again in your query solution, your reporting solution, to now have that same number. I love the idea, historizing that already real-time OEE number that you've already calculated that's been produced on the, on the namespace and you just relive it. I also love the idea of, Joe, I mean, we've been looking at table reports now for, for how, many, <laughs> how many donkeys of years, right? I love your concept that why don't you look at the dashboard? Yeah. The dashboard has so many other contextualized information, like you, like you explained with what is the sizes of the whip inventory of, of the wrapper. Mm -hmm. Why don't you look at the dashboard in, in the historical way? Mm -hmm. I think we need to get a little bit of a, a shift away from this old notion of, of you know, static table reporting yeah, versus looking at what actually perspired because you have all the context already available for but, you but in the you, dashboard. Don't you want it in Excel? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want. I want to say. I want to say one other thing, or I want to make two other points that I talk about in other presentations all the time. Um, 
that we haven't really talked about in these podcasts. So there are basically two questions that'll probably come up when people hear that story about that customer. And, and we do plan to, to demo the, I mean, there are other things where we are, we built, we're rebuilding their entire order system. We're rebuilding. We completely fundamentally rebuilt the way that they, they manage art and they calculate their standards. Um, they have, you know, there's a concept in industry called the single pane of glass, right? Mm -hmm. Which is um, that all people interact with um, ma uh, manufacturing and business data through a single pane of glass, a single entry point, and then they kind of navigate to where their specific data and information is. That's exactly the approach we've taken with this client. It's what we take with every client. But in order to be successful, there are two questions that are going to come up. Number one, how much does this cost, right? How much, is it, how much does it cost to do this? And how do you accomplish it? What's the approach you take? Um, the answer is, is that it costs way less than you think it does. So this exact same client was looking at replacing just their ERP system. And they were going through and they were getting quotes on ERP and they had a separate company that was just going to do their dashboarding. And just the ERP alone, just the cost of the single ERP integration yeah. was was greater than their total spend to this point for all the solutions that we've developed around the unified namespace. Number one, yes. number two, number two, and here's the most important piece. When they asked us how much is this going to cost and how long does it take? It was very important to say, we do not know. Okay. Now this is the mistake integrators make integrators try to come up with some number and we all know that that number is bullshit. Yeah. No one know when you're digitally transforming, you have no idea what it's going to take. Why? Because what they want is going to change based on how yeah. their knowledge expands. Yeah. And, and what we've done, what we did was we said our gut feel based on what we know right now is on the bottom end, it's going to cost you a quarter million dollars. And at the high end, it's going to cost you a half a million. You need to be prepared to spend a half a million, yeah. but we do not know. It could be a quarter million. Number two, we're going to do this one month at a time. Okay. This is the, the, how did this happen? We did it one month at a time. Each month was a phase or a sprint. However you want to describe it in agile. Each month we had deliverables. We delivered at the end of the month and each month we knew that we were presenting for our future on the project. We were saying, if we're not, if you're, you're going to get stuff every month. And if you're happy with it, we keep going. If you're not happy, we pull the plug at any, at any given time. And we just did it in those very, and, and, and Michael, correct me if I'm wrong. We're on like phase 21 or something in the MES system and like phase five and order job jacket or what, what are, where are the various well, those, phases? Those are 21 phases of incremental value. 21 phases of incremental value. And, and, and that is, you got it. That, yeah. That's not common in the industry, right? Yako, Lenny, you guys know this, right? It's not common to take that approach. It is not common to tell the customer, we don't know what it's going to cost because this is a strategy and what you want is going to change. If what you want is for us to quote you a fixed project where you're going to get a turnkey solution at the end, then you don't use us. Use somebody else. There are a lot of people who will do that for you, but you need to understand that you're going to pay double. You know, you're going to pay huge. There's going to be a ton of contingency built into that that quote to account for the things that they don't know. And, and so if you're a, if you're an integrator or you are a, a, a business leader, 
you have to understand that if you want to digitally transform and use a unified namespace, then you want to take incremental steps, okay? Use this phased approach that we use. And by the way, we've applied it to every one of our projects now. Um, yeah. It's the one that works. And number two, you have to know, you do not know what your total spend is going to be. But yeah. what's going to change is you are going to get incremental value. Your time to value is very short. As each phase passes, you have stuff that is making your business better. And your knowledge will expand. And the new stuff that you want will be a function of that new knowledge. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think, yeah, sorry, sorry, Walker, we see that a lot. I mean, we see that that any, even if we just look about MES projects, not even talking about digital transformation projects, even if you try and run an MES project or as a SCADA project, there, there is no deliverable at the end, right? It's not about, I've ticked all the boxes, uh, pack up my laptop bag and I'm, I'm off. It's about delivering that incremental value and expanding on what you see and what you get. Yeah. So I fully agree. And I've seen too many MES projects fail directly of that, that reason. Yeah. Um, people think that it's something you deliver. You've got your set reports, you're done. And unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. No, no, it doesn't. I, a great example, Michael and, and Walker. Thank you for that. I, I, when ready, uh, I would imagine you're going to share something around that when you're ready. I think that would be really, really valuable to, to our audience as well. Um, something I quickly want to just check in with you. We spoke about scaling and we spoke about adding capability. Uh, we spoke about simply dumping raw data into, uh, into a, a data lake. Uh, we did speak about visibility into invisibility in terms of who can see what. Um, on the topic of data interoperability um, and specifically I don't know. I'm thinking of two examples where, where very often what we see is that there's custom scripts used to move data around from one place to another. Uh, we find that teams or people or indiv individuals are spending a lot of time really just prepping and massaging data to get it ready in a, in a usable state. So under that topic of, uh, I don't know, what do we call it, data interoperability or, or data, what are some of the realities there around what is available, what could easily be achieved, and, and maybe some tech that, that, that fits within that sort of bracket. So Michael, do you want to take a stab at this one first or you want me to go first? Uh, I can. Um, okay. so, so for the example, back to our, our, uh, our use case here, um, the, the systems that they had in place, just to give a feel for their uh, technical staff, uh, very bright people, um, with an accounting background who learned how to program. So when dangerous. you look at, yes, <laughs> when you look at some of the uh, store procedures, um, they were running a um, standalone uh, C-sharp application on their production floor that was manually uh, record recording production data. Um, when we opened the hood on that, um, it was clear that we had a lot of work to do around, you know, not only just getting back to what really is the raw data, but then also breaking down, you know, 20 plus C-sharp uh, classes and methods and all that, uh, driving into their store procedures behind the scenes to see all their, how they, you know, handle different um, business scenarios. And so, the, what we did was leverage ignition for that. So uh, a lot of times what you'll see is we would go back and source the raw data 
and bringing it, bring it into an ignition data set tag. And then um, we would use expressions on top of that to map appropriate data set, you know, row and column values uh, into a tag. So let's say it's a, you know, back to the example of standards, right? Um, you know, we're running a work order for this, you know, customer X, and we uh, finished a, a previous work order for customer Y. Now, you know, behind the scenes in SQL Server, we're running a bunch of logic to understand what's the relative uh, change over time. Um, and so what we did in Ignition was just bring over the raw standards. And as we um, see that, hey, we were transitioning from customer to customer, which was running, you know, product family X, and now we're on product family Y, um, in Ignition, we, that's where we ran our business logic to uh, basically recalculate what, you know, the, the appropriate setup standard, uh, run standard, and everything else should be associated with that job. Uh, and we do that in two, twofold, on their production scheduling tool and at runtime when they actually start that work order um, um, on, on one of their assets. So that's an example of where you have complex business logic yeah. and then leveraging a tool like Ignition and the expression capability, um, also um, Python scripting, et cetera, to basically um, extrapolate what that is. And one of, yeah, one, of the things I wanna, one of the things I want to point out is, so Michael leads a team of developers, There's three people on his team. And, and I review, I only, I review their code just once a week. So on Friday evenings, I go into, we use a tool called Fabricator to manage all of our code. A lot of people use Jira and I go through and I review, I just do a peer a architectural peer review at each week. Um, and I, I never have to change anything on their team ever. I, and Michael will tell you, I never send them a message, never comment, Hey, you need to do it this way or, Hey, let's change it to that. And here's why. Um, one of the challenges we talk about scalability here and is we, when we, one, when we evaluate developers, so a lot of customers will hire us to evaluate another integrator, for example, they'll bring us behind, do a peer review, that kind of thing. Um, one of the things that we're looking for is what type of coding habits do they have, right? So are they the type of people, are they developing, are they, are they running a lot of scripts on the actual client itself? So that is when a client is fired, I open up 10 instances. Am I running the script on the client? Am I running the query from the client? Am I, am I doing some function from the client itself when I don't need to? So in order, one of the, you know, in order to scale, what we have to do is we need to centralize operations as much as we possibly can. Uh, and by operations, I mean, we need to centralize, centralize events, transactions. We have to centralize them as much as we can. Run, you know, only query a database one time, you know, it, uh, instead of 20, right? Um, run a stored procedure instead of uh, running a series of queries that on SQL client side, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. The same thing with the namespace, right? You know, bring the data into the namespace one time. Don't repeat it multiple times. Um, so Michael's team is very, very good at centralizing all of their scripts. So all the Python code gets centralized into packages and functions and methods. Um, they're very good at using classes and instances. What, and, and, and what I want to get to here is this, this point. 
if you're going to be involved in digital transformation, again, I'm an integrator or I am a, I'm a, um, a, a plant manager out there or a, an executive, your team is not going to be made up of engineers. Your team is going to be made up of engineers, project management professionals, and software developers. And you need, you need software developers who you can teach engineering to, and you need engineers who you can teach software development to. And what you want are the experts in both fields on your team. Software developers are the ones who yell at the engineers for putting um, what should be in a class into an individual variable or function running on a screen, right? They, it, that, that's, bad, that's bad software development practice, and it won't scale, right? And it's engineers who yell at software developers for not doing appropriate levels of planning before they start writing their code, right? Software developers will just jump in and without really wireframing or, you know, actually writing down a problem statement, they won't do that. Engineers do. Engineers, <laughs> yeah, right. And, and so what's important <laughs> here is that the way you build your team is also changing. You know, it, it, as an integrator, you know, most integrators have one business intelligence guy if they have any. Your team should be made up of half your team should be have experience in business intelligence yeah. <laughs> and not just one person out of 40 engineers, 20 of them should have experience in business intelligence. And if you've got 40 engineers on your staff and you don't call 20 of them subject matter experts in software development, you have the wrong team. You won't be able to do digital transformation. You, you're, you're, you're not capable of doing it. And so, so many things about the, uh, about the approach that you take has to change, right? You have to, you know, from the end user, from the customer's point of view, from the OEM, from the integrator, yeah. from the individual engineers and software developers, it's a completely separate way of thinking. And that's the reason that this has been such a slow progress. It, it's been a slog um, in industry specifically. And, and, and it's very, very important to understand that, that scalability, there are a lot, you can build lots of great applications, okay? And you can build them wrong. You can build amazing capability and build it wrong and it won't matter right up until the point you try to scale yep. and the second you try to scale it up you're going to hit critical mass and everything comes crashing down and the last thing in the world you want to do is go back and refactor a project that's built on 250,000 topics inside of an mqtt broker yeah 100 right. percent. and then and then obviously you know it's it's normally the software that gets the rap all right <laughs> <laughs> Software wrote itself. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. The platform is what gets blamed. Yep. And the Always. platform and and and, and people and, and when initially with ignition, this happened all the time. Yeah. And 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 ignition got blamed. You know, it, oh it, it you know uh, it does you know it doesn't scale, it's too slow, it's this. No, it was integrated incorrectly. Yeah. With ignition, the ignition platform specifically, I used to say this all the time. I still do. At its base level, um, ignition is as easy as it gets. Drag and drop. Put put a tag in. Drop it on a screen. Visualize it. You're good to go. It couldn't couldn't possibly be easier. At the high end, it's more powerful than any platform ever created in all of human history. And you, there's no problem you can't solve with ignition. Yeah. And I want you to prove me wrong. I think it's one of the points that we've at least heard over the, over the last couple of months is the ability to do so many different things in so many different ways. Correct. Yeah. And, and with that, that is great power, right? Has unbelievable power. And with unbelievable power comes unbelievable responsibility. And it is very easy for, for incredibly gifted engineers to make a, a design mistake 
that kills them when they try to scale, which is the reason that you have to approach these projects using teams of subject matter experts. You have to have peer review built into the process because even the best engineer, even the best software developer is going to make a strategic decision that's wrong, that won't scale. Wrong means it won't scale. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we're running out of time a bit, but I want to just touch on on two things. I don't think we have to talk about it too much, but I do just want to iterate that and, and maybe you can just confirm that people also shouldn't think that with any platform, you'd be able to construct this unified namespace concept. Correct. They're, they're, I get this question a lot. Okay. Can I use X for the unified namespace? Can I use Y? Sometimes the answer is no, I can't, you can't use X. Sometimes the answer is yes, you can use X, but you shouldn't. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes the answer is yes. Okay. Um, and, and right now, if somebody wants to ask me, hey, what should we use for our unified namespace? Um, I think Michael will agree with me here. And, and myself, Michael, and Matt, who are the three guys who... Matt isn't a solutions architect yet, but he, he's architecting some smaller solutions. And he's done a... Actually, he has, we have a case study on a project that he's led um, that I think a lot of people are going to be incredibly impressed with. Actually, I know they will be. Um, in, we, we are, our unified namespace now is nearly one, is 100% of the time is built on MQTT, number one. Yeah. Number two, the unified namespace now is being run through, I think EMQ is what we're, is our, our broker of choice, right? Michael, is that, have we settled that EMQ is the route Correct. we want to go? So yeah. we're using EMQ as a standalone um, MQTT broker as the unified namespace. But then we are using solutions like Ignition, Flow, Canary, Factory Studio. Those are our four core application, four, four core application solutions that we are using to convert the, the raw unified namespace that's running an EMQ into something that people can work with, yeah. right? Into tags and to a structure and events that they can work with. We're using AWS in the cloud. I, I don't think we have any scenario where we're using Azure right now. Um, but it is very, very important to understand that um, OSI Pi can, it can act as your unified namespace, but it shouldn't. Okay, you could technically do it, but you absolutely should not. So, and this is the number one one that pops up is, can I use OSI Pi as my unified namespace? And the answer really is no. Why? Because A, it doesn't act as a broker. And B, it doesn't use MQTT to publish out. So it, only, you can, it can only subscribe over MQTT. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't take the namespace that's inside of OSI Pi and, and, send, it, and send it out. It also isn't versatile enough, right? So um, the, our unified namespace of choice has been ignition over you know, the last five, six years. It's been ignition. We've used Factory Studio in applications where speed is of the essence. So Factory Studio is much faster than Ignition is. And because it's .NET, it's, it's right, basically right on top of the motherboard, whereas opposed Ignition is wrapped in a Java wrapper, right? So it's a little slower. But the, the, we use Factory Studio where speed is of the essence. Um, but the, really, those are the two that we use. We use Flow as a, as a node application, which could in theory, act as a unified namespace with a third-party uh, a third-party namespace sitting next to it. So no, the answer is no. Not everything can be a unified namespace. 
If you're not a technical person and you haven't done this before, what you need to focus on are four bullet points. Number one, is it report by exception? Number two, is it edge driven? Number three, is it lightweight? Number four, is it open architecture? If you stay committed to those four things, you're going to end up at the MQTT 3.1.1, MQTT 5, or Sparkplug B destination nearly every time. Nearly every time. Thanks. That's, that's exactly where I wanted to end off. And maybe just the last thing about report of exception is that exact timestamp. One we, we spoke about a little bit right at the beginning about timestamping yep. and polling and exactly mm -hmm. when events happen. And report by exception is exactly what you need to get that exact timestamp, especially on the edge on when these events fire on your plant floor, 100%. And what we do, I want to say one real quick thing. You know, we're, we're getting ready to do a big machine learning implementation for this client we talked about, actually. And, um, and we're using the unified namespace to do it, and it's actually going to be a very easy integration. Um, they, we actually, what we're going to be doing is sending two timestamps. We're going to be sending the event timestamp, that is the transition that was pushed when the event happened, okay? And then we're going to be using a normalized timestamp for machine learning. Yeah. And, we're, and, and we're going to send both. So you're going to have the, in the JSON, you're going to have a, a timestamp that we're telling whatever machine learning tool we're using to use so that we can get the rising edges lined up, right? And otherwise it's fuzzy, right? The, and, and machine learning people know what I'm talking about here when I say the, the, the data becomes fuzzy. If I'm dealing with five data points and I'm looking for a relationship, it, you know, one of the first things you want is when this thing happened, what was the value of this other thing? Well, the yeah. truth is, if I don't have the timestamps lined up, I don't know. <laughs> it's fuzzy, right? It, when was the rising edge of that following event or, or, or relationship event? Um, so we're actually going to be publishing both. Both the event that was pushed when it was reported, the, the timestamp, and the, times, the normalized timestamp to say to machine learning, hey, guys, th these, these, uh, these values are related. You can trust these normalized values. Mm -hmm. And that's a new thing, by the way. Not a lot of people are doing that. And it's something we're going to start pushing. Hey, start doing this in machine learning. You'll have a lot less problems. Send them both. Cool. Sounds to me like we've got a, we've got a topic for session three. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, outside of politics, and something else to speak about. Hey, okay. and let me, let me, I, I just want to, I want to say thanks to Michael for jumping on because, you know, I really, we didn't prep for this and, you know, I just kind of asked him, Hey man, we'll be doing this unified namespace thing. Are you interested in jumping on? Love and, it. and there was no prep at all. So, you know, I, I appreciate him coming on without any chance to, <laughs> you know, he didn't know what he was going to be <laughs> no asked problem. or anything. So I appreciate uh, it, brother. Absolutely. I think it was massively insightful getting, getting that the real very practical example. Michael, thank you very much for your time. Walker, thank you. Always, always amazing speaking to you. Always good catching up. It feels like we could almost do this weekly. Uh, if we had the time, um, love the passion, love the innovation, love the wanting to do more and do it smarter, keep up the great work. Um, is there anything, I've, I've made a couple of notes here, Lenny, about uh, Highbyte specifically. I mean, if there's anything else to be available to share with, uh, with the notes of the recording, please send that over. But awesome. Yeah, and you know what I do is I, I think I'm going to send a, an invite to the Discord. If, if people are more... You know, they if they want to ask more questions or they want to talk to an entire community of, I think we've got 700 people in there now. 
that, you know, they're not just Intellic people. There are other integrators in there. There are OEMs. You guys are, uh, I don't know who, I think Clarice is in there. I'm not sure from your guys' team who's in the Discord, but, um, you know, Arlen Nipper and, 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 um, you know, Benson Hegland from Opto22. I mean, you know, everyone's in there. So if you have, it's like a, a single place you can go and ask questions and get answered from OEMs and from integrators and from architects and, um, you know, just machine learning professionals, if you want it, that's really the place I think people should go if they've got more questions. Um, you know, it's a plate, it's a no sell zone, right? It's uh, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't let, right. We don't let, we don't let business development people sell in there. If somebody asks a question about product, you know, if they say, Oh, Hey, can somebody send me pricing on such and such? All of that's fine, but it's no, no unsolicited business development is, you know, it's a great, I highly recommend anybody who wants to know more to join the discord. Um, you can watch obviously our YouTube videos and LinkedIn, but we, we try to get the information out as much as we can. We're going to be doing a case study on this specific facility. We're going to be doing demos of the facility. They've given us permission to share, um, the plant as if, you know, we get to treat it as if it's our plant. Right. So, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's yeah. cool. I think it's going to really, what an really, amazing really opportunity that doesn't share. happen often, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be valuable. Thank you so much. Yeah, please do share that. I think we, you know, all of us, we're never the holders of all knowledge. So I, th- I think the more we can do, we would definitely be a lot of folks interested in in participating on that. Thank you very much. And by the way, we I appreciate the fact that you guys are sticking with this. I, I absolutely love your podcast. I do. Uh, and I don't, I don't listen to many, um, but I, I listen to your podcast religiously. I really do appreciate that you guys are doing this. I know a ton of work goes into it. And, um, you know, we need more of this, you know, and, and, and you guys are, you guys are doing it right. You know what I mean? You're not, this is not, um, this is not a podcast. This isn't marketing, you know, hidden behind a podcast. This is a, this is a podcast meant to really help. And, um, that means a lot. Man. That's, that's our, that's our, that's our goal. It's really Absolutely. about, uh, Walker, I think you, you, you feel the same as me. I, I love innovation in this industry that we love. I love new, new concepts. And I think really it's for us, especially in the South African context, is just to get that little bit of innovation back. Yeah, um, playing a small part. And playing a small yeah. part. Play and get people to actually try stuff and try new things. It really yeah. is all that this is about. Thank you for the support. We, we definitely listen to all your stuff as well. But thank you for your support from over the pond. <laughs> Appreciate it, brother. Great. Uh, lovely chatting to you again. Um, if there's anything outside of the link, anything else you want to you send across, we can share in the notes. We'll, we'll do that. But thank you so much again for, for giving us your time on a, on a Monday. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Walker. And, and thank you, Michael, as well. Great chatting to you. Awesome. Pleasure. Thank you, fellas. Thanks, everybody. Cool. So next week, Lenny, we have one more podcast left for this year, for 2020. Yeah. And we call it a wrap. I yeah, mean, it's, it's our, Christmas, our Christmas special. And then... Are we singing? Are no. We, doing a, no, a, no, 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 no. we can do a Santa <laughs> day. We, we can maybe wear a bright red jersey with some, no some reindeer on it. Or, yeah. no, it won't be a video. We won't do any singing either. So we've got one more podcast left. I think we've lined up um, Michelle. Uh, we, we just have to confirm that. Uh, she's been an, an integrator in our industry for Jeez, I think 20, 20, 20 plus 20 years. years yes. And we're going to chat to her a little bit about how things have changed and, and how they also have stayed the same. The same. Yes. Um, <laughs> so that's going to be a very philosophical uh, discussion with Michelle. 
and we, we will hopefully line up for, for next week and that'll be our final podcast for the year. That'll be a wrap for the year. Yes, so we are uh, obviously going to finalize our topics for when we get back yeah, in January 2021. So please, guys, coming. get the topics and suggestions to podcast at elementa.co.za. And then if we don't see or speak again, see you in the new year. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Look after each other and, and stay safe. Bye-bye.